Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. The Hoosier Hysterics, we're a podcast that you're listening to, and we're also powered by pigs. Wow. <laughs> I even backed away from you like it was going to be yeah. loud and no. long. Pigs. Oof. Hey, man. You know what? I feel... I feel like, you know what I feel like? I feel like what I just did was Pig's Classic, and our guest today is Classic Indiana. Boy, I tell you what, it doesn't get more classic. It, You know what I was thinking on the way over here? I'm not sure. There, there are many guys that you can look at that have graduated Indiana, that played four years for Indiana, and you can go, that's how we want to be represented. But when you look at this gentleman's career, both playing and then post-career, it really is a testament to the kind of people that Indiana brings in to be part of the Cream and Crimson. And I love that we're going back to the glory days again. Yeah, it's been a, it's, you know, we've, Kent Benson, John Laskowski, uh, you know, we've, we've represented the early and mid-70s pretty well so far, but I think this guy will have a unique perspective as somebody who went on to be a very prolific coach. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. Let's just talk to him then. Let's in- do it. Instead of each other. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have an extra special guest today. It's what we do here, extra special guest, but this one's extra, extra special. Eric, would you care to tell them who this gentleman is? I would be honored to talk about this gentleman who hails from Normal, Illinois. Great name. And went on to a career at Indiana playing basketball and coaching basketball post his playing career that is anything but normal. Abnormal. Very abnormal. Let's talk about a gentleman who played for four years at Indiana and won four Big Ten championships. That's pretty good. Played in two Final Fours, one Elite Eight, one National Championship and Perfect Season. Also a CCAT title. Basically, this guy doesn't know anything except winning as a basketball player. After co- after playing basketball at Indiana, went on to coach for nearly two decades. Has 
a 2013 NABC Coach of the Year Award, Sporting News Coach of the Year Award, two-time Atlantic 10 Coach of the Year, a Naismith Coach of the Year finalist. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going back to the glory days of Indiana University basketball with a guy who simply represents everything you could possibly want out of an Indiana University player and alum. Please welcome Jim Cruz. <laughs> I like how you guys do that. <laughs> it's a clap. That's good. Of course. That's good. How are you, but coach? I, I, I hate to tell you that we all, what we used to always tell recruits and our players, everybody's got a scrapbook, so just leave it at home. <laughs> well, we are the scrapbook podcast, though. It's, oh, it's like okay. We are the oral scrapbook of Indiana okay. University. That's right. Dust off your scrapbook because we're about to open it up. Dust it. Yes, dust it. <laughs> uh, so, coach, uh, how are you? We're doing great. We're doing great. We live up in Carmel, Indiana, and uh, love it. We uh, keep busy a little bit doing a few things, and my wife and I enjoy it. And our kids are out east, so we'll go out there about three times a year for about 10 days. So that'll be 10 days each So uh, and grandkids, so that, that's awesome. And what's keeping you busy these days besides the grandchildren and the kids? Well, I will uh, – actually, a former teammate. Uh, I don't know if you guys have talked to Aber or not, Tom Abernathy. He started a uh, basketball – well, he calls it academy. So basketball academy. He built a building about 25 years ago. So he's kind of a little – I think he was ahead of his time. Now these things are all over the place, these uh, training centers for kids and camps for kids and leagues for kids. And so I will help him. I have no responsibility whatsoever, but about – Oh, 12 or 15 hours a week, I will uh, work with uh, my wheelhouse is about first, second, or third graders. After that, I'm, I'm, that's not my wheelhouse right now. So that, that's, <laughs> it, they're nice and innocent, so it works out really good, and I enjoy that. So I do that uh, and then keep plenty busy with you know other things, but uh, volunteering at some things and speaking at some things. But do, do, a lot of friends are traveling a little bit. How how different is it working with first, second, and third graders from the last two decades of your life where you've been working with 17 to 22-year-old kids? Really not as much as you would think uh, in, in all seriousness. I mean, it all, it all comes down to the uh, things of, you know, are, are you going to listen? Are you going to make excuses? Are you going to, you know, we're going to teach about being a good teammate and, uh, so it's not it's not as much there. I mean, obviously we're not playing to win uh, all these games and everything else. So the you know that's different in college and high school and so forth and everything else. But uh, it, it's the same thing. I mean, you got to keep working. You know, the fifth graders think working on layups is for third graders. The third graders think that's for first graders. First graders think there. And you know, I tell them Kyrie Irving's the best uh, layup shooter I know, and he has a 40-minute routine on layups, so layups must be important. So wow, let's work on those. Now, how often do you end up screaming at them and making them run sprints? Is that a daily occurrence? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. See, this is why I like first graders. So the other day, we have this little two-on-one fast break. So they got two lines at the top of the key, and I'm on defense. So I said, oh, and they know what I'm talking about. So I'll go, okay, two-on-one fast break, I'm on defense. And one of the kids goes, uh, we want a kid to be on defense. And I said, I'm a kid. Another, <laughs> one of, another one of them said, you're not a kid, you're an adult. And then, then the third one says, no, he's not an adult. He's older than that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so 
That's one difference. So, so, but they call it how they see it. See, if it's a fifth grader or above, they're jabbing you on purpose. The, the first graders just they're just calling it how they see it. So yeah, it that's hurts. why I like the first second graders. It hurts worse that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's deep. Yeah, they're doing the truth. Yeah, that's true. Uh, coach, it's interesting. I we talked a little before we started the podcast about uh, pickup basketball and how I, I started playing a little bit recently. My impression of pickup basketball from what I remember playing 20 years ago has totally changed. Now I see guys going on a, a blacktop, you know, who are 30 year old, 35 year old guys who are trying to capture some glory and everybody is taking step back Steph Curry threes or James Harden threes. And no one did that 20 years ago. Do you see any influence of like where the NBA game has gone to how kids are, who I assume are fans of basketball, how they're playing? Or has it at that age, first, second, and third grade, is it the same as it was 30 years ago? No, it's, I think it's a lot different. I think uh, the influence of the, the NBA is huge uh, because it's so popular. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, the game has changed. I mean, you know, they empty out the lane now. You know, back in the day, you'd have one or two guys sitting in there and you throw the ball in the post and do different things. But now that that's rare in there. So it is, it's more individual it's more ball screen it's more guys spacing out uh in terms of spotting up to shoot which a lot of times it creates you know a lot of non-movement but uh i see the kids doing that and actually that's one thing that we won't do with the groups that little guys i have we, we won't teach them ball screens we try to teach them all this stuff away from the ball just so they learn how to play without the ball because they'll, they'll get that very quickly from someone because it's the thing that everyone does but uh i don't want everyone just depending on that and then these kids get trainers uh you know and they work and it's all ball handling skills which ball handling is very very important but that sometimes that's, they think that's the only way you can get open is through uh you know the crossover behind the back uh and all that stuff which some of it's good but there's a lot of it, a little bit too much right now, I think. Now, do you watch the NBA yourself? Are you uh, pleased with what the game looks like and feels like now as a spectator? Oh, I think some teams are really fun to watch and some teams aren't fun to watch, which, which is probably true at every level, anytime, uh, at, at any decade. But uh, I will watch probably when the playoffs start. Not all of them, but the, the teams that I kind of, like watching uh, and it changes i mean it'll change i might like a team because i like a guy or, or a coach or or their style of play so it all depends but i'll watch some of it but not i'm not a i'm not addicted to it by any stretch of the imagination well and and it's it's different every season now teams you might have liked last season are going to be totally different this season correct that's absolutely correct and you know what and i think the nba it'll be interesting i really haven't thought about this until now and i don't know if it's true or not but What's the downside a little bit, uh, the, the NBA, and I'm not saying this for the NBA necessarily, but it is for college in my, in my opinion, which means absolutely nothing. But my opinion is. <laughs> means everything you know, on this these, podcast. These, <laughs> the, these, you know, everyone's trying to, you know, you're going to get three superstars and we're going to win it this year. Okay, maybe that's good in the NBA. I don't know. But for college, it's kind of gotten like that too in terms of everything is one year. And that's what the fans, that's what the schools, you know, it's this year. And what that means is 
in in college it's going to be more fifth year and they allow the fifth year transfers more transfers more this uh transfer portal which i don't even know what that is because i've been out of it for a few years but transfer portal uh they're not encouraging to bring in people and develop people and you know it's hey, everyone wants to be good every year but there is a process to be good and I think there's no patience for that. And I don't think that's a good situation for anybody. I don't think it's good for the kids. I don't think it's good for the coaches. I don't, I just don't think it's good. Yeah. I mean, life is supposed to be a process. You're just not going to be good every single day. And when, and if that's expected, you do your best every single day, but if you don't know how to fall down and get back up, you're going to, it's going to be pretty tough out there for you. It's funny. We usually reserve talking about uh, the current state of Indiana basketball to the end, but it, it dovetails very nicely on what you said. Ward and I were just having this conversation where it, it clearly looks like what Archie Miller is trying to do in Indiana now is build for the long term. The the recruits that he's going after right now all seem to be four-year guys. These are not one-and-done players. These are guys who are going to be there into their upperclassmen years. And the question is, in building it for the long term, is the fan base and the trustees and the the people that the boosters will they have the patience to let him build it for the long term? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think that's the question around the country, uh, not just for Indiana. Is which way you're going to go with it? Now, I think that's the best way to go with it. Hey, if you get one and done guys once in a while, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. You bring in a transfer, that's great. I mean, you don't have to be all high school or you don't have to be all anything but building a program that you know is based on the right things and then you're going to be pretty good and then sometimes great uh that's a good thing but do you know really fans aren't too and then what happens is then that you know the board of trustees are kind of fans and that brings the pressure to whoever the president and that goes on to the ad and then ad brings it down to the coach and then where's the coach take it down to the players that's not good Right. That's not good. And so uh, hopefully they do it. I, I don't follow the recruiting that much. So if that's what Archie's doing, that's awesome, I think. And I think it's good. And he's a good coach. And, uh, but, it, you know, it's competitive out there and you got to do it. But you're not going to be just great every single year like some people want you to be great every year. And, you know, if you got kids graduating and they're acting like, they're, they're ambassadors for the school and they're competitive and fighting and competing out there. Uh, I don't think fans should want any more than that. Right. Now, you're in the heart of Indiana high school basketball country. I know you're working with, with younger kids there in Carmel at Tom Abernathy's Academy, but you've got to, even if you wanted to avoid the chatter of IU and how Coach Miller is doing, I doubt you could. Is there a sense among the coaches, uh, the players, the fans of of impatience that you're getting because we're a little removed out here in LA we're getting the message boards mostly or do you think people understand he's going at this point more for a Tony Bennett Jay Wright let's get the three four stars and build a real foundation do you do you get a sense either way which way the wind is blowing with the fan base oh I, I you know as much as I'm in the middle of it I'm not in the middle of it because I don't even know what a message board is and all that so I don't and I have no idea what any of the recruits they've had and you know some people might come up to me uh and say something you know what my opinion or they'll make a comment and I would say you know hey some of them are frustrated and some are great but you know <laughs> 
you know, my mom told me when I was about seven years old, you can have an opinion. That doesn't mean you know anything. So, <laughs> Believe me, that, that you just defined why we have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you can't please it. You know what? All you can do is do your best you can and just let it rip. I mean, that's right. all you can do is do your best, what you believe in, and let's go, let's rip. And if you're trying to satisfy everyone, which I don't think Archie is doing, which I say that very positively, he believes in what he believes, and I think those are good beliefs, and let it rip. And, you know, to be good, you got to be good, but you got to be a little bit lucky. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's a fragile thing. You're always, uh, <laughs> you know, you're always an injury or something away from disaster. And, uh, but that's, that's everybody. So now let's take a step back and go back to normal Illinois where you grew up. It sounds like it should be a TV show. Normal Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's a train that goes through there and about when they get 10 minutes out, they go 10 minutes to normal. That's kind of us. We're, about, <laughs> we're always about 10 minutes from normal. That is great. Is, is that your band name? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be a good band. It would. So tell us where, where and how you found the game of basketball. Okay. It's uh well first of all, my dad was a college coach. He 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 was at Illinois State University uh as an assistant. But now he's assistant basketball, but he was assistant baseball, he was assistant football. Hmm. Uh I was very, very fortunate, and the times are different back then than they are now. But in our neighborhood, uh all the boys uh were about two or three years older than I was. And so, you know, you're always playing whatever, football, touch football or tackle football out in the yard or, or basketball in the garage or playing baseball over at the park. And I, they would allow me to play. And I loved sports and, and my dad being involved in sports. So I was always around his practices or games. And it was really kind of 12 months, just depending on what season it was. So three sports and I played three sports. And just found it uh, very rewarding. But it was interesting because, as again, it's just different. I'm not saying it's better. I can't think it is, but that's what everyone my age thinks. So, <laughs> but, but my point being is I, I never played organized football until high school. I never played organized basketball until seventh grade. And, and then baseball is eight or nine years old, pretty young. And so... Uh, but by playing every day in the neighborhood, you learn to survive. Uh, you learned, you know, someone was organizing the game. It wasn't parents and it wasn't uh, organizations. There were no refs. There were no coaches. And so, you know, the kids would divide the teams, you know. And so you, you, you don't put all the good players on one team and all the bad on the other. If there's 10 kids playing or eight kids playing, you mm -hmm. don't do that because what fun's that? So you do, you, you, you make the, then you handicap might be baseball, you know, Eric, you're good. So you got, you know, you got to hit it past the Creek, you know, Ward, you're not, you know, you're not as old. You're not as good. You only have to hit it past the bush for a home run. Some, and, somebody told you about my athletic prowess before this podcast, <laughs> didn't they? I was going to say, you got one of the two, right? I, I see nothing. I hear nothing. Uh, so, uh, I say nothing. Uh, so anyway, that, that's all good stuff. I mean, it's really, you kind of learn, you know, if you have, there's an argument, it either gets solved or the game's over. <laughs> so most of the arguments got solved because everyone liked to play. And uh, so I thought that was, it was just great. So I was very, very, uh, in fact, my wife was pulling out pictures the other day. And the, actually, this might be my favorite picture of all time. And I don't know, I might be, uh, 
Oh, that picture. I'm probably about six years old, maybe six to eight years old, probably six. And it's a picture of my dad sitting on the bench next to the head coach uh, at Illinois State. Well, on the other side of the head coach, I'm sitting. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So back then, you probably only had one assistant, I guess. Or right. I, I, I doubt if I demoted an assistant coach at six years old, but I, I thought that was kind of funny. Like, I'm sitting right next to the head coach during the game. That's great. <laughs> so it, today, anyway. today, that would somehow be a recruiting violation. That's somehow. true. That's true. Yeah. Um, My, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. go ahead, coach. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, well, at what point did, you know, you, you moved into the realm of organized sports as you got older yep. and then when did basketball start separating itself from the pack for you? And you realized, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be involved with basketball in a serious way for some time to come. Well, I really liked, uh, football, uh, and I like baseball, but I probably like really like football. I'm not going to say which one I like more, uh, football, basketball, basically that is, I whatever season it was, I loved it, right. but I tore my rotary cuff, uh, my sophomore or junior year. So that hurt my football stuff because mm-hmm. I was a quarterback and certainly it's not good for baseball. So I just kind of went to the basketball and I love basketball. So it wasn't any big deal, but that was probably the reason I ended up making a decision because I had to make that decision. Right. At what point does Indiana University enter your life as a potential landing place for your basketball career? Um, well, I'll answer that two different ways. The first time I went to Bloomington, Indiana, was my sophomore year, right after my freshman year in high school. And there was a gentleman named Art Swartz who I just visited him. He's 90 years old and he was coming through Illinois. So I went over there to see him. He's a great man. He, he and his wife, Betty, who are both, Betty's, they're all still living and everything. They're living up in Virginia. Anyway, they were IU people, but they were, if I had second parents, they would be my second parents. Mm-hmm. And anyway, his daughter, Kim, uh, was coming home for school. So he just said, Hey, you want to go over to pick up Kim to come home for summer? I said, sure. And uh, so I just drove over there and actually assembly hall was being built. Uh, then it was, I would say it was probably about in my guess, you know, probably half done okay. at that time. And so I saw assembly hall then, and then Indiana came into the picture with coach Knight. Uh, I, I would say probably, probably by junior, late junior year, maybe summer something like that i can't remember the rules and all that right, stuff back right. then but but uh it, you know it's not like today sure. where everything's on steroids and eighth grade and all that stuff but uh back then but coach knight was not coach knight right you know i mean he, no one knew who coach knight was i mean he was just some young guy from west point and most people and so even today a lot of people don't know what west point is and um uh, uh, but his, and I was very, very interested in Maryland. There was a gentleman named George Raveling, who was an assistant coach oh, wow. for Lefty Dursell. And I was very, very interested in them, had visited them. Uh, and they probably recruited me the hardest, uh, with everything. And I just liked, I, I really liked coach Raveling. But, uh, when coach Knight came in the home, uh, you know, his philosophy was very, uh, hand in glove, uh, like my parents, I mean, you know, you got to earn things, you got to work. We're going to follow the rules. You know, we're going to, you know, you're going to have good guys around you. 
And, uh, you know, everyone thinks, you know, the simple things of life, and maybe it is simple, but people get off track on all that stuff. And it just made sense to me. And so uh, that's how it started. Now, now I, <laughs> I read somewhere, is this true that there was another Coach K involved with your recruitment? Mike? Yeah. Uh, Mike was, uh, let's see, Mike was on the staff uh, by junior year, if I'm not mistaken. He's there only one year. Right. But he, I got a letter from him uh, when, and I'm sure he was already, he was already doing his military commitment. Uh, I got a letter from him, who obviously he played for coach at West Point, and a, and a guy named Jimmy Oxley. Uh, those two guys sent me letters, uh, for the recruiting process. So yeah, Mike in a small way was, yeah, they, they were good letters and everything. So coach Knight had coach K write you as a former player to say, Hey, it's great to play for coach Knight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Huh. You know, here's what you're going to expect and getting everything else. Yeah. He and Jimmy, both Jimmy was a very, very good player at West. Jimmy was a real good player. I mean, Mike was a had a good career, great career, but he wasn't a great player. Jimmy was really, really good player. And he, he's been a doc. He just retired, but he's a doctor out uh, East, but a great guy. You touched on something that I, I'd love to just spend a second on where you said coach Knight wasn't coach Knight at that point. And, and I think that's just a really interesting dynamic because for, for people like Ward and I, coach Knight was always coach Knight, right? We grew Correct. up with the legend yeah. And right. and really anyone born after seventy five, if you know anything about Coach Knight, he's a legend. Right. What was your first impression of him when you met him? Because at that point, I mean, you're seventeen, eighteen years old. Coach Knight is what twenty eight, twenty nine. He's not that much older than you at that point. He's a young guy. He was. Uh, Coach was when when uh, you know Laz and Steve Green and, yeah. and Steve Allfelt, Doug Allen, John Campster, those guys were the first class and we we're the second class. So coach was, uh, you know, when we got there it was 32. Got it. I think maybe, maybe 33, 32 years old. But, uh, you know, he, he was different from the fact that, you know, he didn't tell you how good you were. And he didn't tell you uh, promise you thing. He, he's not, he's not going to promise you that you're going to start. He didn't start, you know. He said, you know, and explained that you would have a great opportunity and went through the great opportunity of playing and, but you had to earn things. And, you know, he talked about how, you know, on the basketball floor, they're going to be a cerebral team and that we're going to be a team oriented team and kind of how, and, and he'd go through, I can remember him talking about Steve green and some other guys who are a little bit older in terms of what they can do. I mean, he's talking about Greeno, how he can use his right hand, left hand inside. And he really has a good touch from the outside, great touch from the outside, but how he's very crafty inside and how that could complement your game. And then he just talked about that, you you know, you know, he said, you know, we're going to have good guys. We're going to follow the rules. We're going to graduate. And he goes, we he goes, and our goal is to win the national championship. He goes, everyone's goal is probably to win the national championship. He goes, but we're not going, we're going to do it this way with good guys, and we're not going to break the rules. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm from normal Illinois. I mean, that's what, that's what my parents always believed in. Let's do it the right way and let the chips fall where they fall, but let's do it the right way, and then we can move forward. Now, did you know when you were getting there as a freshman, did you know in advance that the NCAA was changing the rules so you'd be able to play right away? 
Ah, that's a great question. Uh, I knew it before I got there, but I don't know when that, when that, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know when that exactly. I kind of think when my senior year, you kind of knew that freshmen were going to be eligible because you're right. That's the very first year that you could play as a freshman. You timed that out very well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did. Yeah. So when you showed up there and you're surrounded by what would be arguably the greatest rosters in college basketball history, was it intimidating at all? Or were you just so thrilled to be on the court with that much talent? No, it is a little intimidating. I mean, this, this, uh, again, I'm normal Illinois and, and like just the can I mean, there's a lot, you know, the Larry Bird story. I mean, it was just so big. Right. I mean, it's just so big. Uh, you know, in, in reality, to a college campus, it's not that big. But when you're in high, you know, a smaller high school, smaller town, and everything else, it was very big. So that was uh, going to class was a lot more intimidating than, than going to the basketball floor. Actually, I mean, you go in there, and some of those classes had 300 people in it. I mean, that's half my high school. So what the heck? And uh, so that was. But you know, the the great thing about it was right from the first day, and this is the advantage that athletes have over non-athletes is you go there and you know so the first day you're meeting scott may and quinn and tom abernathy and john campster and steve green so you got boom at least you got 15 guys or so that are you know there's a common thing there's a common theme and and so that makes it a lot more comfortable who did you immediately uh kind of connect with I mean on the team? Yes, yeah. Who became like your your friends uh, the quickest? Oh, I think I, I think that those two classes. Well, first of all, Steve Downing was a senior. Steve Steve Downing and John Ritter, and I mean, we couldn't have had better seniors. I mean, those guys were like great to us, really, really good to us. I mean, unbelievably good to us. So. They were the two seniors, but then I always consider, and, th- and this is kind of a sad thing in some of a big picture in terms of the hoopla of it all. But you know, the the Laz Greeno, those guys, Campster and Allfelt and Doug Allen, those guys and our group, that was kind of like one class. It seemed like to me all the time. Right. It just seemed like one class. Everyone connected. You know, there's I don't know, ten of us, I guess. And it was just that way. And the, what my point is, the sad part about that is, you know, that 75 team was so darn good and, and you know, they just didn't get the, the final prize. And sometimes they get neglected in this whole thing where that was the first class, which certainly set the tone. And uh, they had tremendous, tremendous success, but they just didn't. And I said, hey, that's well, me, us too. I mean, we're on the team too. So right. we, didn't get, we didn't get it done. It, it's, uh, it's funny you know, though. It's just unfortunate. It's just unfortunate. I mean, but that is kind of a sad thing because they kind of, you know, if there's a room full of people, sometimes they go to, you know, the 76 team instead of the 75 team, let's say. Right. Sure. You know, that, that, that's just not good. Although this is a testament, I think, to the culture that Coach Knight built and the players like you that he brought in. When we talked to Laz about that very thing, like how disappointing it was, you know, to not be able to finish that off in 75. He talks about how the 76 team really treats him like part of that team. And so when he's around you guys that were on that team, everybody from Quinn to Scott to 
Benny, to everybody that was on that team, that that they really give those 75 seniors credit for the 76 title. And what you said earlier about how you felt like those two classes were one class, I think that a lot of those guys do feel that way internally, that it's just such a unique thing that you guys had that bond and connection that, that transcended classes. Yeah, I, no, there's no doubt about that. That's 100% true. And I, I almost think it's even bigger than that. I mean, like, and if you'd ask those guys, I don't, everyone might have a different answer. But one of the things that, you know, I, I think our best accomplishment is what you guys mentioned earlier, which a lot of people don't, is we won four Big Ten championships. Yes. Well, that that's just, that's not a class. I mean, people can say it's a class, and it is a class in one sense. I get it. But no, it's a collection of many classes. It's many classes. And that's what makes that group, uh, I think, really good. And, 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 you know, I go back to that first day when you meet, you know, uh, Quinn or Scott or Tom or Laz or any of those guys. I mean, you might have met some of them during the recruiting process, but you're kind of with them. Here, here we sit. I don't know how many years I go. Let's see. It's not 50 years, but it's, it's a long it's time. Close. 45 years or plus. Yeah, getting close. And we're still, and we're still friends. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't happen very often. You- and uh, so that, that that's, and, and that goes back to Coach Knight recruiting the people to put you in position that you have a common thread of not just basketball, but a lot of other things that uh, connect you. And it's always about relationships and always will be. And, Coach Knight put those guys in position in my life to make that special. And is is that something where for the rest of your life, certainly while you were a player and then as you were coach, was that the template? Did you it does in your mind always go back to what Coach Knight assembled there in those early years with all of you, and that you were virtually perfect for two seasons. Had it not been for for Scotty breaking his arm, it would have been two perfect seasons. Was that something you just are constantly referencing in your mind? Why was that perfect, and how can I get back to that? Oh, well, I don't know. Perfect. Our record was unblemished. It was perfect. Um, I I don't know. I I don't look backwards a whole lot unless I get in situations like this. But (laughs) let me me put it this way. Like Coach Knight coached a class or taught a class. He taught a class for the students at Indiana for a number of years. It was a great class. And he never talked about basketball. Never. And I would talk – I would do like half the class and he would do half. He would do the lecture hall and then I'd kind of take thing on the court and I'd show him basketball stuff. And then sometimes I'd be in the lecture when he was out of town or something, but he was there most time for this class. And I can always remember him saying, and this is the very first year I got back on the staff and he goes, okay, he goes, show these guys the Michigan game, the national championship game. Okay, because everyone says, okay, 32-0, and 0, perfect. And we ended up, I mean, we were down at half, but we ended up winning by a pretty good margin. And he goes, show them that thing. And he goes, show it to them and talk to them as you are the coach, not the player. So I turn on the film, and I mean, he's not in the room anymore. He leaves, and <laughs> it, it goes through, and it's like, hey, you know, hey, why isn't Scott May, why aren't, why aren't your knees bent? Hey, Abernathy, we missed block out. Hey, you know, Buckner, where's the ball fake? I mean, that's why you turned the ball over. And then you say some good things. But my point is, 
it was a perfect season, but it wasn't with perfect players or perfect people or anything right. like that. We just had the ability to win and do enough good things to outweigh the negative things. So there was nothing perfect about it. Hmm. That's a really interesting perspective. And is that part of why it would remain interesting for a lifetime is that you can never really be perfect. You can always keep, 100%. Tr- keep trying. Absolutely. It's just part. Absolutely. It's just part of the process. And, and, and what I see today, which I, I think I mentioned just a little bit with younger people is like the last year or two of my coaching at St. Louis, like one of the biggest things that I think our team had trouble with is they didn't know how to get knocked down. They didn't get, and you got to be able to get knocked down and get back up. But, you know, if everything's protected, you know, and I'm not going to go into deep stuff in terms of all the parenthood and all that stuff. But my point is, you know, it's good. You know, I, I always used to have a thing is I got, I got an invisible rope around your waist. You can run as fast and as far as away from me as possible. That's how we did it with our children. My wife and I, that's how we did it with the players. And when you're running as far as away you can from me, that means you're becoming more responsible, more responsible, more responsible. Good. If I see you going toward a 10 foot hole, I'm reeling you in tighter. We're not, those 10-foot holes are hard to get out of. But if I see you falling and stumbling and scratching up your knee, good. Because that means you're going for things. That means you're trying things. That means you're going and get up and let's go again. You know, you're fine. And so I think that was kind of our motto. And, you know, a lot of people say pressure uh, back in the, the day of the pressure of winning the national championship or the pressure of the – I the pressure – in my opinion, it was there on isolated situations, but it wasn't there constant. I didn't. I didn't think that at all. Do you remember uh, again going back to the Coach Knight thing? I'm in your freshman year now, and again, he is Coach Knight. He's a fairly young coach. He hasn't had any real national success at this point. He, you do very quickly once you guys in your class gets on campus. But do you remember uh, anything in your mind? that stands out where you could look at what Coach Knight was doing in practice or in the games where you thought, well, this guy is a special coach? Oh, yeah, very quickly. Very, 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 very quickly. I mean, he was so cerebral and and got you to look at the game in a completely different way uh, with it. And kind of three things. You know, a lot of people say, what did you learn from Coach Knight? Well, one of the things is he he teaches you how to listen. You know, you got to really listen. And you can improve your listening. For example, if I say if we're in a group of people and, you know, let's say it's a practice situation or a classroom situation, math class, religion class, doesn't make any difference, whatever it is. And I, I use the word, I said, hey, Eric, what do most people do when you hear the word Eric? Well, unless your name's Eric, most of them turn their ears off. <laughs> He's not talking to me. Well, if it's, if, if it's a public forum, if you're in a classroom, you are talking to everyone else. And that's how you can learn. You can listen by that. And, or you're not in the drill or you're not in the project or you're not in the film. And all of a sudden, Hey Ward, what should we be doing on that? What, 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 what should Scott may be doing right now? And you're like daydreaming because, Hey, I'm not even in the game. Right. You know, well, you, you can get better by just watching other people and that's listening and paying attention. Second thing is, is the ability to concentrate. You got to concentrate. He, he taught you to concentrate because it is a cerebral thing. It's a moving game, very fast moving game. And so you got to be thinking all the time. And so th- those, those are two good lessons from, from a player standpoint. But one of the things that hit me 
with coach right off the bat. It was the very first day of practice, actually, because he that was the first year they put in. He put in motion offense. Wow. Okay. And motion offense for whatever, 30 years, kind of stormed the country after coach put it in. And people were trying to figure it out and so forth and so on. And uh, anyway, he, he's describing some things and teaching some things. And I can always remember him saying, and we're just kind of walking through a few things. And he goes, hey, I want you guys to ask questions. Ask questions. And he goes, I might not know the answer. He goes, but I guarantee you by tomorrow I will. <laughs> and I thought that was really good because he's, he, he, first of all, or three things. Number one, not a lot of teachers back in my day were saying, ask questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, very, you know, there's some, but not, not really encouraging to ask questions. So he's encouraging to ask questions. Number two is he, he's admitting, I might not know the answer. And number three is I won't figure out the answer. <laughs> you know, I'm just not going to, uh, BS you. I'm going to come up with an answer. And so I thought that was great from a teaching standpoint. One of the things we've talked to several former players of of Coach Knights that that we like to talk about a little on this because I think the image of Coach Knight, besides the legendary status, is how tough and hard he was and intense. And, And that's kind of been talked about ad nauseum. We get that. But what doesn't get talked about a ton is how funny he is and was. And uh, and almost everybody that we've talked to has something funny that sticks out to them. Do you have anything behind the scenes that sticks out to you as just something where he got you laughing or the team laughing or broke the tension somehow? Uh, well, this is when I was coaching. Sure. Uh, one that just sticks out when you said that. Yeah, and it, first of all, he did have a great sense of humor. Very, very, uh, still does. But, yes, I mean, he's got sure. a great, great sense of humor. And... Uh, with that, and, and to be fair, I mean, and he was—he would do that with the players, but as an assistant, you would see it a lot more because you're with them like all day, right. every day, instead of you know three hours in the practice. But anyway, so we'd go to lunch almost every day, and so we're in the car, and all of a sudden he's driving through the golf course, and it's oh, probably into October, maybe early November, and. So we're going out and he starts driving on the cart pass and he goes to, I can't even remember what hole it was on IU course, let's say probably about six or something like that. And so he gets out of the car, walks over, he goes, come on over here with me. And so I get out of the car and he starts looking up at these trees. Well, the leaves are really coming down. There's not a lot of leaves. I go, anything we're looking for? He goes, yeah, I threw a putter up here. Uh, <laughs> You know, in June, in June. So it's still on his mind that he doesn't have this putter. So he's waiting until those leaves come down so he can find this putter. But the funniest thing I thought was people would send, because they knew he liked to play golf, They he probably had 30 putters in his thing. And he goes, yeah, this is my favorite putter. I go, and I'm thinking, if this is your favorite putter, what do you do with the putters that you don't like? <laughs> That is phenomenal. But it, it didn't show up? It wasn't there? Oh, we'd go out there. I bet. I, I honestly don't. I can't remember if we ever found it, but it wasn't a one-day thing. We went out there <laughs> for about six or seven, eight days in a row looking at that player. Uh, amazing. So I don't know if it ever showed up or not. I can't remember. So clearly these um, these things that you noticed about what Coach Knight was teaching translated to success on the court, and very quickly in your freshman year – 
you go to the final four. Uh, right. What do you remember from that run? And I, I just it, I always like to talk to people who have ex, who are experiencing this level of success on a national stage. And granted, 1972-73 Final Four and the attention in the media is much different than 2019. I get that, but yeah. coming from normal Illinois, and whatever success you had in high school does not compare to going to the Final Four with Indiana University, even 1972-73. What was like? What was that like? Well, we were we were uh, taught, encouraged, empowered to. I mean, it was all about Big Ten championship. It was all about Big Ten championship, and so our freshman year, so we're plugging away and and everything, and then we end up winning the uh, championship on the last day uh, against Purdue. Yes, and so that's a Saturday, and the next day. So we have a meeting, and again, this is exactly what you said. Okay, we win the Big Ten Championship. I mean, that was our whole goal. We win the Big Ten Championship. So the next day, we walk in the locker room, and the back of the, I don't know how it's set up today, but the back of the lock, some of the back of the lockers were the kind of first thing that you saw because you got to kind of turn a corner in the locker room. It's a sharp two rights. And anyway, they had a, a pretty big sign up there, like home of the Big Ten Champs. And like, wow, this is these coaches. This is, this is a big deal. These coaches are liking this big time. So that that made an impression on me. And then I can remember Coach saying in the locker room because you know they didn't have as I won't even get to the media because you know what you just said. It's just not everyone doesn't know what's going on. And so he sat us down. And he goes, okay, this is what's going to happen, guys. We're goes we're going down to Nashville, Tennessee, and we're going to play. Uh, who did we play first? We played uh, Marquette. We played Marquette for. He goes, we're going to play Marquette, and he goes, "If we win that game, then we'll play the winners." These are the four teams going down there. That's all I knew. And so, I mean, actually, so we beat Marquette, we beat Kentucky, and then the next week, we go, okay, next week we're going to St. Louis. I mean, I don't even think Final Four was even mentioned in my. I can't remember it. Right. Like, okay, now you're going to the Final Four, <laughs> and uh, now I'll I'll throw this in. And you'll, I don't know if they'd have this on Google, which I don't even know what that means, but uh, <laughs> uh, tell me how this would go over today. So we're playing at Nashville, so you know, in Vanderbilt, so you know the uh, court, you know, the benches yes. are on the end zones. Right. So with about my mind, there's like a minute and a half left, something like that. Obviously, there's no three point rule and there's no shot clock. And Coach McGuire is at the other end, and there's a timeout, and he's walking down the side of the court, all the way 94 feet toward the bench. And I can remember one of the assistant coach goes, hey, uh, Bob, uh, Coach McGuire's coming down here to talk to you, I think. Coach McGuire comes kind of into our, not right into the huddle, but toward the huddle and shakes Coach Knight's hand. He goes, good game, goes back. We're four up, four. (laughs) And he he takes out all his starters. What? Because he just thought you would sit on the ball? The game's over. He said, and I can remember his son, I – uh, it was it Allie or Ollie? Allie, I think. Allie McGuire uh, saying, Dad, like, what are you doing? He goes, game's over. It's over. What? <laughs> now, you'd get fired today for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There'd be seven fouls and four timeouts in 10 seconds. That's true. That's By the way, true. I also – the tournament obviously had fewer teams back then, but right. but what's amazing is there's no uh, 
first-round cupcake games back then. You played Marquette, who was ranked number five in the country in your first-round game. Then your second-round game, you play Kentucky, ranked 17, beat them. And then you play UCLA in the Final Four, which I brought this up with uh, – uh, with Laskowski, that my uncle, who also graduated from IU, to this day uh, will maintain that you would have won that game had it not been for the ref making a terrible foul call on Steve Downing when it should have gone on Bill Wolf. Uh, that might be true, but we don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but UCLA was better than us. I mean, they were better than us. I mean, not that we couldn't have won, but at that point, at that time, they were better than us. Uh with that, but the fourth team was Providence. Yes. I mean, Providence had Ernie D and Kevin Stakem and, and Marvin Barnes. Now, Marvin Barnes broke his leg against whoever that was. Who was the fourth team? Us, UCLA, Providence, and Memphis, I think. Memphis, yeah. And uh, I think he, he broke his leg, so he didn't play. So, I mean, they were really, really good with that. But, you know, you mentioned just briefly, and it kind of gets overshadowed, the CCA championship. Yes. Sophomore year. Well, the CCA championship, I think it was the kind of the commissioner's something. Right. Association. And it was all the second place teams because we got beaten a playoff. Well, you, and I have no idea what it is, but how many people have won the national championship finishing second or lower in their league? Right, right. A ton. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. A ton. And look at the competition. The competition was everybody was second. Right. <laughs> so... You know, that that is – And by the way – That tournament in, in itself was probably tougher than the NCAA into a, a degree. I mean, I'm not talking about all the way through the NCAA tournament, but the first rounds, definitely. And, and by the way, you, you say you finished second. Well, that's you, not true. That's not true because only the first teams went. That's right. not true. That's not true. But, but you didn't just fin- – you didn't really finish second. You finished first and lost a right. play-in no, game. That's so, yeah, that's exactly right. But I do I, – I because you mentioned that tournament, uh, just to kind of skip ahead a little bit in your sophomore year, I do love the story of – Coach Knight not wanting to play in that tournament. Yeah. And yeah. and the administration basically saying, no, you're – you." well, the story that Laz told us. Well, yeah. I, could you give us your yeah. perspective on how you guys ended up <laughs> no, playing that tournament? No, I what Laz was, was first. <laughs> no, you tell us first, and then I'll tell you what Laz said. Okay. The, how I remember it was Coach was not big on it, but he goes, "Let's we're going to vote on it. So the players voted on it. Well, the players' votes that I got, it was negative. We don't want to go. (laughs) And then he came back, you know, whatever, hour or two or who knows when, I don't know, and said, we got to (laughs) go. So I don't know if that's the same story as Laz It's very similar. The way Laz told it was exactly what you said. Coach Knight didn't want to do it, was refusing to do it, went – but then behind the scenes was basically told by the administration, you're doing it, coach. Like, I, I know you want to pretend like you can, you know, make this decision, but your team is playing in this tournament. Yeah. So then, might, that, then he yeah. went to the team, got the vote, secret vote. Everybody, the majority said, don't want to play. He got the votes, came back and goes, all right, you guys voted. You want to go in? We're going in. <laughs> <laughs> That's- it might be true on that part. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I want you know one thing that was successful about the freshman year that I want to get uh, a question asked to you for your your whole career as an IU player and then coach. You did take out Purdue and Kentucky in two out of three games. 
uh, pretty magical. What you grew up in normal Illinois, so I'm guessing you didn't have a lot of the understanding of of the Indiana basketball history and who, you know, the rivals were, or even if you knew them, you didn't feel them. Did you grow to have a, 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 a hatred for <laughs> Purdue, a hatred for Kentucky? No, I, 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 and you'd have to ask all these guys, but I never, first of all, what you mentioned, like, uh, what Quinn and I and Scott, us three for sure in our class. So Ab and uh, Bobby, Three of us weren't even from the state of Indiana. What we, I always felt that we had, uh, first of all, Coach Knight was big on, you know, every game's important, so we're going to prepare for every game, and I think that's what made us good. I mean, it wasn't spiked a whole lot for a bigger game, in my opinion. But let's take Purdue. Purdue was good, but they weren't as good. Minnesota had won the league the year before we got there. So Minnesota was our biggest rival our first year. That's who we wanted because they won the big 10. They had everybody back to my knowledge. Uh, so that was our biggest rival because we wanted to win the big 10. And then after that, it kind of became Michigan for the most part. So Purdue was big, but it wasn't, uh, I, I don't think our guys ever felt that that was a, uh, you know, the, I think the fans get much more enamored with that than the players. It's a big game. It's an important game. It's a fun game, but it's not a hatred game. I, I never felt that. All right, but I, I'll buy that, and you're right. As a fan, I hate them. So I'll just we, – we, we, we we'll, embrace our hatred on this we'll, podcast. We'll be happy to do that work for yeah, you Yeah, we guys. can do it for you. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met a Purdue person? Yes. Y- yes. Have you disliked them? Immediately. <laughs> oh my God. I can honestly say that I've never met anyone from Purdue that I haven't enjoyed. Yeah. Well, listen. I, I'm listen, serious. I'm listen, not trying to coach. be a political guy or anything. No, like that, I think I'm, I'm serious. About I that. think you're probably right, but there is no way I would ever admit that. <laughs> you're not going to admit that. No, I'm huh? not going there. So, but I will say this look, I maybe some of this coach did for the fans because I do know. I mean, Coach was just a master manipulator. Like, he he knew how to manipulate the media. He knew how to stir fans up. He was really good at it. But he yeah. clearly, publicly, had something extra for Kentucky. He he definitely seemed to embrace that rivalry. Do you remember any of but, that? Yeah, I think that. No, that's true. I mean, Ken, Kentucky was not known for following the rules real well back then. Right. And so, uh, back no, then. I, I, I would, but, but, but again, it, it was only a one game thing. I mean, right. they weren't in our league and it was only a one game thing. It was only a one sure. game thing, but no, no, I, I don't disagree with that, but it wasn't on the radar very long. Cause it just was, I mean, I mean, you look at our schedule yeah, and I'll bet you within 10 days we'd play Kentucky, Notre Dame, Kansas or Kentucky, right. Notre Dame, uh, UCLA or something like that. Yeah, or even almost all the time. And in fact, I'm not so sure that we didn't play two of them. Might have been our senior year. And I'm not so sure it wasn't during exams. <laughs> wow. Well, even I mean, we looked at the schedules when we've done interviews with with Benson and, and Laskowski. I mean, there are no cupcakes. I mean, you're playing team, even teams like UTEP, which were really good back then. Oh, I yeah. mean, there are the the gauntlet of games that you had to go oh, yeah. through. Oh, okay, look at this. For 74-75, the, the, the second game of the season, Kansas, 
third game of the season Kentucky, fourth game of the season Notre Dame. But they, they were just all stop there. they were all top fifteen teams. Three in a row. Yeah, that's I mean three that in a row. is just unheard of. And and one and you played Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse and you were up at Notre Dame. That's that's just uh and that took place over like a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just think that you know uh, it. Yeah, it kind of tickles me how people schedule the day. And plus, then then if when they do play, you know whatever Michigan State plays Duke, they think that's just the greatest thing. Well, well wait a minute, that's kind of like even Steven. I mean, both you guys are in great conferences and. Like, right. but they think that they're really going out of their way to play a good team. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, by the so. way, you mentioned the accomplishment of four Big Ten titles. Do you, off the top of your head, know what your record, your four years, was in the Big Ten? No. 59 and five. <laughs> you lost five conference games in four years. You I know mean, what Coach Knight would say, don't you? What? Why'd you guys lose five? <laughs> so let's get into actually, yeah. actually, and again, I'm sure we hear and listen different ways. But I, in the locker room, because a lot of people said, did Coach Knight promote going undefeated? Right. The only time I can really, there's two two things I can only remember him saying a little bit about it is number one, we. Oh, it wasn't, it must've been after our sophomore year. So we were 23 and five and really felt like it was a bad season, which is kind of weird, but it, we really did. It just never felt right. I mean, in terms of, we never, I don't know. It just didn't feel right, but 23 and five. And I can remember, and I don't think the whole team was in the locker room. I think it was just a few of us after the season, you know, we maybe we're shooting or doing something and, uh, we're just sitting in there and he walked through and, uh, I think he put the record on the thing, 23 and five. And he did say, he goes, now, is there any good reason why we have to lose five games? <laughs> and so that he just planted the seed, planted the seed, which I thought was great. I mean, he wasn't trying to be, you know, I mean, I bet it wasn't more than a 30 second thing. He goes, but is there any good reason why we should lose five games? You know, and, and really what he's doing is giving you a compliment. Like, okay, you guys are pretty good. Let's go. Right. And then the other time was when we're struggling our senior year, I mean, we're playing, I mean, you know, everyone says your perfect season. We struggled a lot that season, actually. Right. In terms of close games and so forth. And I, I, it might have been after Northwestern game. I think Northwestern played us really good. They had a good, really great player, Billy McKinney. And in fact, he might even got, he got a ton of points against us, I think, 30-something. But anyway, he just was, he was kind of honest. Like, do we have to lose to say that we learned a lesson? Do we have to lose to say that we learned a lesson? And you kind of explain that everyone said, well, you got to learn, you got to lose to learn things. He goes, why can't we win and learn things? Which I thought was That's a great, great way to look at it. Uh, so I want to take a quick step back before we get into kind of this magical two-year run, your junior and senior year, to ask you about um, what was it like for you in, in high school? I'm assuming you're probably the best player on your team in high school. Or close uh, to it? Yeah, my junior year, though, we were really good. We had a lot of good players, but yes, probably yes. So you're used to being the star in, in some regard, and now you're going to Indiana University where your role for your four years was not the star. You were a sub. You, you had a role on the team. You played your ass off. But was it at all difficult for you to adjust to this new role in this environment? Uh, not really. Uh, 
not really. Uh, first of all, I mentioned in high school, we were really good. My, and the class was a junior class. It was dominated by juniors, and I was, I'm sorry, by seniors, and I was a junior. So it was like four seniors, five seniors, and then me. Uh, and we were really good. And so, oh, to tell you the truth, I have no idea if I was the leading scorer or not. I don't, I don't even know, to tell you the truth. Uh, I don't know if I was. But anyway, I mean, it was very balanced, and we had a good team. And then, so it's it always about winning. It's just about right. winning. And then the senior year, I can remember our high school coach. I really had a good high school coach, Coach Medcalf. And he came to me. He goes, "Hey, you can't pass the ball as much as you have in the past." He <laughs> goes, "We're not. We're not those. These guys. We got different guys. You got to score." And he goes, "You got to even probably take some bad shots, but you got for us to win. You got to shoot more. So your responsibility. But the bottom line is." what was it all about? It was about winning. It wasn't about start. And so that wasn't a tough thing. I mean, I kind of had a reverse action. I mean, obviously I started my freshman year on a final 14 big 10 champ. And then by the end of my career, I was a sub. <laughs> so, right. uh, so, but it was always about winning. And so, well, is yeah, it, I, I, I didn't get too much involved in that. Is it something where you, especially the, the 75 and 76 teams, there's nine, players on those teams that are going to get drafted in the NBA. Are you starting to look at this and see who those guys are, the skills they have, the talents they have, and then next to them is Coach Knight, maybe the the greatest mind the game's ever known. And as you're a player, are you starting to be like, I think I'm going to go more of the way of Coach Knight than these players as far as like starting to plant the seed to be a coach instead of go on to a professional career playing? Well, first of all, until probably late, late in my probably second semester of my senior year, I never thought about coaching. I always said I'd never coach. Wow. So huh. I won't go through all the long story of that, but that's honestly the truth. I said I would never coach. Well, well no, I, not to get into the long story, but I'm curious, why, why was it so definitive for you? What was it about that that you just thought wouldn't be the case for you? Well, when I was grade school and high school, when I was grade school, first of all, if you were an athlete back then, and I really don't think this is true now. Hopefully it's not true. I, I really don't hear it. But there was a term called dumb jock. <laughs> I mean, I'm, do you guys hear that? Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, you still do? Okay. It, I don't That's think it's bad. as That's prevalent as much, but yes. Okay. Sure. So anyway, dumb jock. Okay. So I probably was insecure enough. Thanks, man. They might be right. Uh, so <laughs> so anyway, so that, that bothered me. Okay. But I liked athletics, so I'm going to stick with it. And then the second thing is if you – back then, if you were a coach – you were a physical education major. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there was a stigma back then. I don't know if it is today, but there was a stigma back then is that's just the easy way to get an education. Mm -hmm. And so I made my mind up very early. I mean, I can remember my football coach would always say, what are you going to do? I said, I'll do anything, but I'm not coaching. I'll be a surfboard collector before I become a coach. <laughs> and, I mean, dead serious. That was my quote. And, wow. Uh, so I never wanted to coach because I didn't want that stigma, which probably is this insecurity in some way of me. But also, I used to tell the players that. I said, don't let other people, you know, whatever they try to brand you, you know, don't let that get in your way. So it was a good lesson for me to be a coach. I mean, to talk to our teams about that later in, later in life. So I was never going to be a, a coach with that. How did so it switch? You asked me something else about that, though. What was that? That was the start of it. Oh, uh, 
Oh, well, well, just, yeah. I mean, I guess that's where we're at is, is that that's what you came into. Uh, oh, okay. Your I know. Time okay, with. I know. Yeah. So then actually my freshman year is freshman year. We're playing Minnesota at home and they had the returning big 10 championship and, 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 and the rivalry is big too, because coach and coach Musselman, they, they were boy, boyhood rivals. And that was not a, uh, copacetic relationship (laughs) and so and minnesota got in that big fight with ohio state against coach taylor which coach knight loved coach taylor so that just even put more gas on the fire okay so we're playing assembly hall is uh i would say about the third or fourth something like that third or fourth big 10 game and it's one of those days where you guys have been in Assembly Hall. It's one of those days. It's a good day to be in Assembly Hall. I mean, it is stoked. It is stoked. So anyway, they had these guys, you know, behave, you guys, I don't know you guys, but they had everyone on their team. The stars were like six, seven or above, except for one guard who was six, four. So they were huge. I mean, our center was Steve Downing, who was six, seven, six, eight at the best. And so, so, you know, you're always kind of looking down there and I'm going warm. I was like, man, these guys are really big. You know, they won the Big Ten. So anyway, to make a long story short, there's a loose ball. And it's like slow motion. There's a loose ball. And let's say I'm, you know, whatever, eight feet, nine feet away from the ball. And there's three of those big dudes for Minnesota. And they're further from the ball. And those dudes got to the ball before me. And right then, I knew I'd never be a pro. Dead serious. Wow. Mm. Dead serious. It, like middle of the game, game's going on, and like, huh? If I'm not, if I'm smaller than those guys, and I'm not quicker than those guys, like that's not a good combination. Wow. So it was very clear, but, but <laughs> very then, clear to me. But then it took uh, the rest of your collegiate career to turn the corner on the coaching thing. Yeah, actually, the truth be known, coach offered me the coaching job right out of college, and I turned him down. And I went into business one year in Indianapolis. And then I was in business. I didn't dislike it. But I'm going, eh, what the heck. So anyway, I talked to Coach, and he gave me another opportunity. So I'm pretty fortunate that I was able to turn it down one time because, I mean, obviously at that time of life, those positions were (laughs) pretty tough to get. And so uh, very, very fortunate. So I want to take a step back to the the two year kind of run. I, I don't think we, we we won't focus too much on that seventy four seventy five team. You kind of touched on the a little bit of the disappointment that for those seniors especially that weren't that you guys weren't able to to finish it off, and there was some bad luck, which you touched on earlier. How much luck plays a hand in it with Scott May getting injured? But then you're in the seventy five seventy six year. This is your senior year. You have basically at this point in your college career done everything that a team can do except win the national championship. Correct. What was your mentality, the team's mentality going into that year? Was it? I know you talked about how the Big Ten title was always the goal, but at this point you've won three in a row, and you have this one dangling Chad, if you will. Was it? We need to win the national title this year. Uh yes, but I still think it was to win the Big Ten, and then if we're good enough to win the Big Ten, and then that means you're preparing the right way. And then you know that tournament's only three weeks long, so then you got to take care of business. But I really think it was that. Now the the where I kind of just from a personal standpoint felt what you're saying the most was sitting in the locker room before the game against Michigan. 
Because you go, okay, we're 31 and 0. We won the Big Ten. Uh, everyone in the country knows we're better than Michigan. We know we're better than Michigan. Michigan knows we're better than Michigan. <laughs> and Michigan is really good, and we know they can beat us. <laughs> wow. And it's one game. It's just it's two hours. That's it. Yeah. So it's like you got one shot for forever. And but wait, we we wait. I got coach. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we got to hit pause on this Michigan game okay. to go back several weeks to another Michigan game, okay. where again the undefeated season is on the line. And at the end of the game, at the end of regulation, it feels like this game is going Michigan's way. Okay. And you are forever etched into the lore of that perfect season for what you did at the end of that game. Can you walk us through kind of the situation that was set at the end of that Michigan game and what you remember from it? Well, we struggled all day. And, I mean, Michigan just was really good. We just always had good fun. I mean, they were, they were fun games. I mean, Steve Grody and Wayman Britt and those guys. I mean, they were just tough, competitive. And it was like, you know, we had beat them, but it's like – they, we appreciated the battle and they appreciated the battle. We were just a little bit better. So anyway, that game, they obviously they were just kind of had our number that day. And, uh, so it comes down to the end. I mean, I think there's like 10 seconds. It is 10 seconds left. I know there's 10 seconds, left. 10 seconds left in the game and we're down two. well, I hadn't played one second, not one. So coach says, okay, you're in. <laughs> I go, huh? So he goes, you're going to take the ball out of bounds. So the only thing I can remember is, and I don't, I don't even remember what the play was, but he goes, get, you know, get the ball in bounds. And all I'm thinking is, if I'm open, I'm shooting it because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be hesitant. I mean, there's only 10 seconds left. And, you know, in basketball, you got to work hard or get lucky. You're only going to be open for one second. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, that's why you got, you know, you got to be prepared to shoot and so forth and so on, not just mentally, but you got to be prepared physically. Uh, we call it do your homework before the shot. But anyway, so that, you know, that happened. And I mean, I didn't get the shot, but then I got uh, the, you know, the ball came and threw the ball up and Benny was in a great position. So he put it in. So it worked out great. But, and then, and then what was funny. Wait, 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 wait. you just kind of skimmed over. It wasn't just Benny was in great position. You made an incredible play. Well, the ball it needed to be jacked up there because there was no time left. <laughs> but but so the, I got the rebound. I don't even know who. I think Quinn shot the ball. I think yes. Wow, shoot! To be humorous here, now to be humorous here, I knew I had to get the rebound then. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Oh, but I, what I thought was funny, I even thought it was funny at the time. I really did. So, as I said, I only played 10 seconds. So, there's 10 seconds game. Coach puts me in, boom. Obviously, the crowd's going nuts. Now, we're in overtime. Right. <laughs> so, I come off the floor and Coach goes, hey, that was a good job. He goes, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> made it count. You made it count. <laughs> but you ain't playing in the overtime either. <laughs> wow. But you're – so, it, I, I know it's hard to kind of put yourself back in that position, but – you win that game, you're still undefeated. Obviously, there's a lot of season left to play. But in your private moments after that game, do you at all realize the magnitude of what your play led to? Like, are you at all letting yourself go to, oh, my God, I I just kind of no. saved the perfect season? No. 
that's not ju- really that's not just really. what what eric and i would do yeah exactly we don't actually have like the skill set or or concentration necessary you, you know you know what was good though and this is i don't know if this is i think it ties it in with this a little bit which which i loved uh about uh that when we were there at indiana number one number one is we did not live with basketball players you can live with a basketball you, coach did not make we didn't live together we did not live together wow so that was like awesome because these guys are my close friends but i got so many close friends i mean actually we just last weekend was the four was it last week or two weekends ago 43rd year that 40 guys 41 guys showed up this year the 43 years 41 guys showed up this year to play in just a little golf tournament in Bloomington. And none of them are basketball players. Oh, that's They're great. just friends. That's wonderful. I mean, 43 years. So my point being is coach trusted us. He trusted us. I mean, he we could live where we want. We went home in the summers. Uh, so my point, getting back to what you just kind of said, is my middle name's Stanley. So a lot of guys who are not basketball players, they call me Stan. So, you know, after the game, I just go back to where I'm living and it's, it's Stan. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, and that was, that was such a, I mean, I, I mean, we didn't have training tables. I mean, we just ate in the dorms or wherever we lived. And that was great. I mean, I loved, I, I wish college athletics could do that to now because right. they're getting such a more, we had a very broad and, uh, basketball hey when it was basketball it's serious about basketball you go in there i mean it was serious real serious and it was good and it was fun but then you had this other life it wasn't 24 7 it wasn't 24 mm-hmm. 7 so i'm very appreciative of what coach and i had set up when we were there it's, so let's skip back to the championship game against michigan oh wait eric i had eric. one final four question oh okay please go ahead because because you play ucla in the final four And UCLA is obviously now, you know, on the tail end of their just ridiculous run of being the college basketball program. Now, by the way, if if this next part is not true, we will remove it from the podcast. But I was looking up some IU records, and your name is in the record books for doing something pretty amazing in that UCLA game. Do you remember anything – about that UCLA game that was remarkable from your performance standpoint? Remarkable? Yes. Uh, no. So no. The only, uh, there, there's only really about one thing I remember. I'll get to that, but let's let, I, I want to hear remarkable. That doesn't usually come up with my name, so that's good. <laughs> well, again, I don't know if it's true because I've seen differing uh, statistics. In the IU record book, you are tied – for fourth all time in steals per in in a in number of steals in one individual game and it has you listed in that UCLA final four game as stealing the ball seven times so you want my response well if it's in the record book it must be true <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny Fact. you know it's funny that you said that because i have a guy at this golf outing with these other buddies non athletics and he has said that to me the last like three years because he goes, "Hey, do you know that Stan has you know whatever the <laughs> and, and I I kind of laugh at that. No, I but you know what you just I could be wrong, but I, I just don't think you know it's like what we talk about now. Our our guys when we 
everyone says, uh, you know, when the last undefeated team gets beat, then people call us yeah. newspapers or magazines or just whatever, radio shows or whatever. Uh, what do you guys, you know, like Miami Dolph? I don't ever remember being in a discussion. Our guys, we, we might tell a funny story here or here or maybe that, but 98% of our conversation has nothing to do with basketball and our teams. Uh, Never for forty years. I I've seen you in interviews. I think in the in the documentary that Showtime did when you were interviewed for that, the uh, perfect season, where uh-huh. I my favorite part about you, coach, and your team and that team is that you've talked about how these other undefeated teams they all get together to celebrate when you know like the Dolphins when the NFL team loses, right? And you're like, we don't care, we don't need that. I love that. To me, that's what Coach Knight instilled it's what he recruited it's what the the culture of the program was you did what you did at that time it's not about preventing somebody from doing it again in the future you you just let the game speak for itself and i just love that that's what we have as indiana fans that that's the tenor that you guys bring to that world i love it yeah those guys i mean most our guys if not, I mean, like, if you're right, you can't. I mean, obviously, a lot of them are big and tall and all that stuff. But I mean, you can't even. It's like Calvert Cheney. Calvert obviously is much younger than us. But if you're around Calvert Cheney, you don't even know he's a basketball player. You would never hear it from his conversation or what he says or what he references to. Right. Now, if you, I mean, no idea. And that's kind of the group that we had. So that's why they're they're fun to be around. Now, what, to be around. what were you going to say when I was bringing up the remarkable steals thing? You said there was one other thing that comes to oh, mind. Oh, the only about that thing game. I can remember is like it, it, we're we're winning. And I think we ended up winning decent in that game. So anyway, I ended up throwing like a football pass, and it's like right on the sideline, and it goes out of bounds. You know, so the guy. So after the game, we're on the bus going back to the hotel, and I'm in the back of the bus, and Coach Knight yells back, and he says something. You know, he usually called me Cruzy or Jimmy, yeah, any, whatever name he called me there. He goes, I thought you were a really good quarterback in high school. <laughs> and he, you know, so everybody can hear this. Yeah. And I said, well, I had really good receivers in high school. <laughs> in other words, someone dropped the ball. So. That's great. So then getting into that championship game, do you remember the moment you knew that you guys were going to win and what that felt like? Uh, that's a good question. I remember, uh, I don't remember a lot of plays. Scott had like a, I think it was an offensive rebound, double clutch rebound, offensive rebound and put it in. And when I kind of saw that, and I have no idea, I don't know if that was two, three minutes left in the game or nine minutes left in the game. I have no idea, but I go, I think we're going to get this thing. And, And you could tell, you could feel it. You could feel. I, I don't know if there was one play to tell you the truth, but one the tide just turned and we started taking because we we you know we people would beat us, but we didn't beat ourselves. And so once it kind of goes our way, we're not going to beat ourselves. So that's uh, 
you know, not a great answer, but that's what the answer my guy. Well, well, when when it did finally, the dam broke, and everybody's on the bench looking at each other, smiling, and it's no longer like, okay, we think this is going to happen. It's like it's happening. The lead's yeah. insurmountable. Do you remember? Was it like a, a a euphoria? Was it a relief? Because this is it. You you it it would have been potentially the most disappointing loss in the history of college basketball if after these two seasons. Uh, really four seasons you guys hadn't finished it off so what was what was that mix of emotion you know it's really funny that you say that and that's probably true about finishing it off but we won the last game of the year three out of four years (laughs) that's right such a strange dynamic then (laughs) that is a strange dynamic Uh, it was more relief uh i think the week before when we beat uh marquette to go to the final four that was euphoria. We mm. were pumped. We were pumped for that. Was Very it, pumped. But, was there, was but it, I think the when we went winning four Big Ten championships was huge. We did. I think the when we won clinched, we were up in Wisconsin on the road. That was big time. We loved that. We really loved that. And then the LSU game, not LSU. We played at LSU. Uh, Marquette mm-hmm. in Baton Rouge was they, euphoria. And then the Michigan national championship was more of a relief. Wow. Um, I want to do some quick word association with some of the players from that team just to get your quick initial what comes to mind on these players. So if I say Scott May, what comes to mind? Tough, consistent. Quinn Buck- no, you're talking about basketball terms, right? Yes. Basically. Sure. Okay, well, yeah. yeah, just your impression. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, tough, consistent. Quinn Buckner. Uh, leader. Bobby Wilkerson. Intimidator. Hmm. He's the most intimidating college player I've seen, except maybe Walton. Wow. And why is that? Because he could he could guard you like no other, and he could rebound. I mean, just so long and athletic and tough. He, he I mean, and he took, he, you know, he took no grief from nobody. It was great. It was uh, great. Kent Benson. Um, that's a good one. Benny, uh, just. I mean, he was just good. I mean, he was just a good he, – he's good. I mean, he's just yeah. a good player. Uh, Abernathy. Uh, smart. Great. I haven't said – I don't – don't you can cut that if you want to. <laughs> you, you don't want him I'd hearing prefer, that? I'd prefer – I'd prefer uh, – no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I, that's why I tease uh, Laz and uh, Abernathy. I said, Coach Knight put that motion offense, and he, he was using vertical and horizontal for screens. And I said – you know, he asked if any of those questions. I, so the next day I said, hey, those two guys don't understand what that means. So he changes it down and cross screens <laughs> to the vertical and horizontal. That's great. Uh, so let's get into your post-playing career a little bit here. What, what made you decide to leave the business world uh, behind in Indianapolis and return – to, to the bench with coach Knight. Well, a lot of it is there, there's, you know, in, in I'm sure every profession, but a lot of, prof- there, there are just so many common denominators. I mean, you know, if you don't have good teamwork, if you don't have uh, good work habits, uh, you know, if there's not an honesty, if there's not w- whatever, all the things that make businesses or teams or churches successful. It's so my point is I, I started seeing these things in the business world. And I go, well, I don't understand all the business world, but all the main concepts are in the sports world. And so I know I, I've, I've spent 22 years 
well, probably not the first five years of my life, but I, I've, I've always kind of done it from a cerebral standpoint in terms of athletics. I mean, I wasn't quick and fast and all that stuff. So I always did that. So I go, well, that's probably more my common denominator. And, and so if it's the same, then I'm, I, I like that stuff better than this. And so, uh, that kind of changed my mind and uh, to go in, or at least pursue coaching. If I went into high school coaching, that was fine. I just went to talk to coach and he still had an opportunity for me. So I took it. And then really instantly, I mean, I mean, within like days, I knew this was good for me. Oh, wow. What was it about it? I don't know. I just love, I just loved it. I mean, you're putting the pieces of the puzzle together and you're always trying to help players out and figuring them out. Uh, you know, as coach used to say, maximize assets, minimize liabilities. And so it's always an ongoing process to get to that point. So, you know, an attitude and mentality is something that is taught every single day. I mean, it's not like you give a sermon on Sunday and say, okay, this is how we should think and act and do everything else. Then we do it that way. I mean, actually, that's why we have to go back every Sunday to get re- right. rebooted. But <laughs> but my, my point being is it's an everyday thing. And so it's very it's very stimulating mentally to be a coach. It very it, very much so. As a basketball player, we talked a little bit about you know having to go from being a star to now being a role player. When you're an assistant coach for Knight in your eight years of of being under Coach Knight, did you have a role that you filled on that staff? Was there a focus for you that that became like your thing any more than than the others, or were you just a general assistant coach? This is what I loved about Coach, how he set it up, and this is how I set up my staffs after that because I thought it was great. He did not have – let's see, there's – I'm trying to think of the one th- – the only thing that I never did at Indiana was film exchange. That's the only thing that I missed out on. My point is he'd put assistance, and you were not just a recruiter or you are just not on the on-floor coach or you were just not – whatever this was, he was preparing you to be a head coach. He wanted to make sure that you saw every angle there was in the program. You had the responsibilities of the program. And, you know, contrary to uh, probably popular belief, I mean, he is not, he, he was not a micromanager whatsoever. I mean, you know, hey, we need to recruit and then we recruit. And we would have recruiting meetings sometimes, no doubt about it. Or, you're, you know, here's your game plan. I mean, he, he kind of, kind of like you did as a player a little bit. He kind of throws you in the pool and he's not going to let you drown, but figure out how to swim a little bit, you know? And I thought that was great. I mean, he, he trusted what you did. You come with it. Either he took your suggestions or didn't take your suggestions, just like any other boss. But he was, uh, he was great to work for in that way. Now, was it still hard and tough at times? Yeah, absolutely. He, you know, Indiana basketball has high standards and we were all expected to live to high standards, but it was uh, not like, oh, why, why didn't you send this letter, or why didn't you talk to that guy, or what? It wasn't any of that stuff. Wow. You had the unique opportunity to not only play on a national championship team, but be a part of the coaching staff for a national championship team. We haven't got to talk a lot about the 81 team on this podcast. So for us and our listeners, can you shine a little bit of light into, you know, a team uh, like the 81 team that started off not so great, but finished it as good as humanly possible. Can, can you give us a little insight how that transition was made during the season? Uh, yeah. Uh, obviously we knew we had a lot of good players. I mean, Ray Torbert, Landon Turner, Whitman and Kitchell and Isaiah and 
Phil Eisenbar, I mean, Steve Risley, Jimmy Thomas, I mean, Tony Brown. I mean, we had a lot of guys that we thought that were pretty good. Uh, I'm trying to think exactly. I know we were 7-5 after the non-conference, and we were in Hawaii. I'm trying to think of the games that we got beat before we went to Hawaii. We got beat two there. We got beat by uh, Clemson and then Pan Am. Who did we get beat? Oh, we got beat by Kentucky at home, I think, 68-64, come to think about it. I can't remember the other games we lost. So we're struggling. But, you know, it's interesting. You know, we used to always tell the team, you know, you're always about one – you're one step away from failure and you're one step away from two success. So you're not – you know, we don't need to get – we just need to keep getting better. But uh, I thought, thought – and Coach, I think, disagrees with me uh, on this – and maybe you can look up neither one or both of us are probably too lazy to look it up. <laughs> Eric's, I doing, haven't. Eric's doing it now. Okay. Yep. So, okay. Here's my recollection. I can't even remember coach Knight's recollection because I don't listen to him that well, but anyway, <laughs> uh, we were playing at Iowa and we're getting our butts beat bad. And they kind of, and Landon Turner was in the game and Landon was in and out of the lineup and, you know, very inconsistent and so forth and so forth. So on. And, they kind of went to a four corners offense, something like that. They're, they're, you know, they're beating us by 15. There's five minutes left in the game or whatever. And Landon gets caught playing. Uh, either it was a kid, Kevin Boyle or Jim Stack, who were about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and they're good ball handlers. And Landon's like, whatever, 10 feet off this guy. You know, he's not even on the guy. And coach is going, get on him. Just go guard him. Go guard him. Go guard him. And all of a sudden, it clicked. Landon, he stretches those long arms out, and he gets a good wide base, and he moves those feet, and he's locking this guy up. Now, we still get killed, but he locks him up. But here's the thing what we did. We saw that, and it's like a light bulb went on. Man, we're playing him out of position. We're playing him at defensive center. We're going to move Kitchell who is tough as nails, but also slow, very slow. We're going to put him in defensive center. And now we got Ray Tobert and Landon at the forwards position. And we got a defensive team. And I don't think we lost since from that game. You didn't. You, you won 10 straight games. All right, so games. I'm right. Coach Nice wrong. There you go. <laughs> 10 straight games after that. You but won. that just changed the whole dynamic. And, the, it, you know, it's an interesting lesson that, you, you know, yeah, you can – the game's over, but you can still learn something that's important. <laughs> you don't know when, you don't know what, but that means you just keep trying. Just keep trying. As frustrating as it is because we're getting our butts beat, keep trying, and it clicked. And we just flipped that, and it went like lights out after that. To put it in perspective a little for us, when you're a player, you're practicing, like you said, two to three hours a day. Maybe you're doing some workouts also for maybe another hour and a half or so. I would imagine. That's not no. That's not true. Oh no. That's not nope. We we we'd go from about three fifteen to five fifteen or five thirty. I can never as a player. I can never remember going longer. Now, if you get there a little early, they'd work with you, and you might stay after a little bit. Okay. You know, maybe ten minutes extra, fifteen sure. minutes at the most extra, and that's what I loved about it too. You know, a lot of times coaches, you know, okay, we're going to practice from this time to this time, and then when this time comes, it goes an hour longer. Right. And coach. I can remember is the 12 years I was there, only one time do I remember us going longer than what we had planned. Wow. No matter if, so even if it stinks, we're ending at this time. Huh. 
So, so my my point here is you're doing that. Uh, I assume maybe there's also some days where you're doing film, looking at film. Yes, okay. absolutely. So maybe you've got, let's call it three to four hours in a day as a yep. player where you're devoted to basketball. As an yep. assistant coach working for Coach Knight, how many hours a day are you dedicating to basketball? To basketball? Yeah. Uh, you, you mean compared to your personal life? Is that what no, you're no, saying? no. I'm just trying to say I think we all forget how much time coaches put into oh, the game. Oh, my gosh. And compared oh, oh, to players uh, yeah. who are the ones on the court, I get it. They're busting their asses for three to four hours a day. But coaches, from my understanding, the moment you get up till the moment you get to bed, it's basically basketball. 100%. So, 100%. When you're. From a professional standpoint, yes. Right. So, from an enjoyment and kind of happiness standpoint, what, did, what is the difference between winning a championship as a coach? And winning a championship as a player, knowing how much time you've put into it, is it is it a similar feeling? Is it is pride more more playing into it that you're doing this for these kids? Like what's happening in that? Well, dynamic? as a player, it's one is it's pretty much one dimensional. I mean, right. you're you're practicing and playing the game, and you know, yeah, you watch film, but but it's one it's just basketball. Where as a coach, it is kind of all consuming. Whereas, as I said, as a player, I'd go back and, you know, now I'm Stan or whatever. Right, right. You know, I'm not even, you know, and so you'd have this life, which, again, I, I appreciate what Coach Knight set up there. I'm not sure that goes on now. But anyway, had life as a coach. So the satisfaction, I think, is completely different. You know, as a coach, unfortunately, and this is what makes coaching really, really tough, is you win it as a coach. Yeah, great satisfaction. You feel great. You're proud of the players. And all those things going, but you know, you, you got to call a recruit, or I got to go on a recruiting visit, uh, or we. Uh, there, there's these other, all these other responsibilities. As a player, that's not. I mean, we win it; it's over. Okay, I have to go to a banquet or something. Right. <laughs> but that, but that, that's it. It's over. It's just over. With with coaching, it's never over. It's never over. Huh. I, you know, I, I I can remember Nolan Richardson. I'm, and John Wooden had the same thing. I mean, Nolan Richardson told me, and I don't know Nolan Richardson. We just happened to be sitting next to each other. And he goes, he goes, I went, we win the national championship. He goes, I, before I got the floor off the floor, before I got off the floor, guys going, can we do this again next year? <laughs> you know, in other words, like, and that, and really that's sad though. And yeah. I, I mean, it's funny, yeah. but it's sad. It's sad. They won't even let the poor guy coach enjoy it for a day. Right. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Well, uh, I think we would be remiss because we haven't really got to hear this perspective uh, from a coach uh, on that staff. What made Isaiah so special? I mean, we're we're talking about the guy at least going on to a professional career unmatched from anybody who went to Indiana University. What what made that guy go? Competitor win wants to win. Competitive win. I mean, yeah, he had quickness, he had touch, he could pass, he had vision. Uh, he was a good teammate. He was a good – I mean, Kitchell and Whitman love Isaiah. I mean, I mean, I was talking to Kitch the other day, and we were talking about Isaiah a little bit. And uh, so that's good. I mean, here's a guy that has a lot of fanfare when he was coming out of high school. And, 
You know, his high school coach just passed away. I don't know if you guys realize that or not. Yeah, Coach, yeah. Ping, coach, coach Pingator, Pingator. Coach yep. Pingator. And, uh, you know, Isaiah, Isaiah always knew what he wanted, and he did it. In fact, I mean, this is kind of an interesting story. Uh, so Indiana's recruiting Isaiah as, as well as probably everybody in the country. So Coach Knight, and the rules were completely different like that, but Coach Knight went up there to Isaiah's house, and uh, I think Quinn met him there. And I, I mean, we probably had about eight people in that house, us as a staff, maybe six, maybe I'd snap. I'd say six, probably six. I was not one of them. I was not one of them. So six. And, uh, and everyone knows Isaiah's background. And I mean, he came from a tough neighborhood and a lot of brothers and some brothers that went the wrong way, wrong road and so forth. So it was kind of wild. And I mean, so anyway, the next morning, I get in the office and I talk to Tommy Miller, who's an assistant coach who played for Coach Pingator, who went to the same high school. And I go, tell me about it. And he tells me about four stories and he like it's like wild. It's just wild what's going on. And, and uh then so I call uh I can't remember who I don't know if Doc Bomba went up there or not, but some doctor. I called him and I said, How'd it go last night? And he tells me three or four stories, and they're completely different stories than the other. <laughs> and then and then I call Quinn and he goes, Oh my gosh, it was crazy last night. Two or three stories tells me stories and they're completely different. So everyone's got all these stories and none of them are the same. And I'm going, Holy cow. <laughs> and so I don't know if it was that day or not, but coach gets on with Coach Pingator, who he loved Coach Pingator, and Coach Pingator loved Coach and everything. And and told told him, he goes, you know, Indiana's just not it's not the right place for Isaiah. We're 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 backing out. We're not going to recruit him. And so Coach Pinkatar's great. He goes, I mean, he respects all that. And, you know, they have great talk and everything else. And what's best for Isaiah, da, 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 da. Well, I don't know if it's two hours later. I, don't, I can't remember if it's the next day. I don't know when it happened. Very shortly. Isaiah Thomas is on the phone with for Coach Knight. So Marianne goes, you know, Isaiah's on the phone for you. So he gets on the phone and. Coach kind of explains it and goes, you know, I talked to Coach, Coach Ping and, you know, we just don't think this is the right situation for you and so forth. And uh, Isaiah goes, well, that's fine. He goes, but I'm coming anyway. <laughs> uh, have you guys ever heard this story? No. I heard okay. a version of this story. Yes, okay. definitely. It's so good. And uh, so Coach goes, no, Isaiah, this is, you know, this not no, no, he goes. Hey, you don't have to offer me a scholarship. I, you, you can't legally. I, I can come. I'll, I'll just be a walk on. You got to have tryouts, and I'll pay my way. I didn't. So hear obviously that. the tide changed. And but my point being is that's what made Isaiah good. He's a competitor, and he knew what he wanted, and he wanted once, you know, all the whatever. He he knew what he wanted, and that's what he did. That's what wow. makes makes Isaiah good. So let's talk about what made you good, because for eight years, you learned under uh, what what I would consider, and I think Ward would agree, the greatest college basketball coach in the history of the game. And you then get a shot. Whoa, nine- whoa. We, we have to talk about Coach's first head coaching experience. That's what I'm going No, to. oh, no, you're skipping it. Coach, oh, how man. how did you yeah. actually? How did you get you killing me? What, what what event? Tell us about the witnessing the event and, and it leading to your first head coaching opportunity. <laughs> oh, we're just in a frustrating year. <laughs> You're talking about coach throwing the chair. Oh yeah, oh yeah, be, maybe oh, that, that thing. And I happened to be sitting right next to coach, and uh, yeah, ah. Uh, 
you know, I don't know. It was, he, he, it was frustrating. Everyone was frustrated. The whole team was frustrated. And obviously he did that. And, uh, what, what went, I don't know. what I went mean, through your mind when you saw, oh, I don't know if I, who knows what went through my mind. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we're playing Purdue, the crowd's act and we're not any good. And, and they beat our butt. Actually, the funniest story I think is the, well, I think coach coached the next game. Again, you might have to look up the records to see if my memory is right. I think he coached the next game. And then we just started recruiting junior college players. And uh, so, and I rarely miss practice. I, and we always had those private plans, but I rarely miss practice. But I was going to, we played someone, I was going to, we're going to play at Iowa the next Saturday. But I think we played someone maybe on Tuesday, if I had to guess right, something like that. So anyway, to make a long story short, two or three days, I went out to Kansas. I'm recruiting junior college players. And then I get into Iowa City. Uh, actually, it was a Sunday game, if I'm not mistaken. Late Saturday night. So I'm kind of looking around and seeing if anyone's watching film or we got anything. But it seemed like everyone was kind of settled in. So I went to bed. So the next morning, get up. And we got a pregame meal. And Coach is down there. And he's going through the walkthrough with the guys. And gets done and <laughs> gets done and and uh the team leaves and he looks at me and he goes oh he goes by the way he goes uh you're coaching today he goes they suspended me the big 10 suspended me so i gotta leave so i'll say i'll, I'll, I'll talk to you when <laughs> like i'm going what i don't even know what we're doing and we played like we didn't know what we we're doing so i it's funny that is a, a quick funny story i was recently having a conversation with my 11 year old son julian and I told him the story of Coach Knight in the chair. And, and he's just looking at me with his jaw dropped. Like, he cannot believe that a coach would, would do that. And he's just silent listening to me tell the story. And I showed him the YouTube clip so he could see it. And then Julian, as only a, a kid could do, just stares at me and says, that's why they chain all the chairs together now on the benches. <laughs> oh, he is an Indiana yeah, fan. Exactly. <laughs> he is an Indiana fan. So now let's go to you get your shot at uh, being your head coach of Evansville in 1985. Yep. Uh, was it a hard decision to leave Indiana? 12 of your last 13 years have been in Bloomington. Uh, but obviously this is what you're working for. Were there other opportunities you passed up before the Evansville job came up or, and how did you know that this was the right move for you? A uh, couple things. Number one, in terms of, uh, I really didn't worry about, I, I mean, I wanted to be a head coach, but I didn't really worry about that too much. Uh, I loved being there in Bloomington and so forth and so on. So there was no big urgency for me to get a job or anything like that. But uh, the Evansville uh, situation opened up, and I can't remember how. I, I honestly do not know how it started. I don't know if Coach Knight called down there or, or I expressed interest to Coach Knight or Evansville called. I can't remember. But Coach Byers, who is the AD down at Evansville, he came up to Coach Knight's office. We're still in the season. I mean, it's still February sometime and we spent four hours in coach Knight's office and it was absolutely great and the reason it was good at the time but it became great and the reason it became great is because whatever coach Byers said everything was the truth he, he was just a truth teller and uh 
when you work for truth terms, man, life is a lot easier. <laughs> I mean, right. It is very, it is, it is awesome when you work for truth tellers. And so, uh, so I was fortunate and coach, you know, was great about it and encouraged me and helped me. I mean, he talked to coach Byers too. So he helped me get the job obviously. And so it, it was a great, uh, match for my personality and our family, what we believe in as a family and everything else. So Evansville was a tremendous place for us. Well, five conference titles, two conference tournament titles, four NCAA tournament appearances, four-time conference coach of the year. Uh, and I think the thing that you – I'm guessing after spending an hour and a half on the phone with you, I'm guessing this might be your proudest accomplishment at, at Evansville. 52 of the 53 players that played for you for four years at Evansville graduated. Yep, and it's over 100 now with the St. Louis and West Point, so – we, we've only had one that didn't, and uh, and that kid is smart as a whip, too. <laughs> what, and, um, uh, I, I want to ask you about another Indiana connection in, in this time, and, I, and I'm and i sorry to kind of gloss over your 17 years at Evansville, but we're, okay. we're an IU podcast. But yeah, there, that's all right. There is an IU connection here. There's a player that came from Evansville in the late 80s, early 90s, while you were coaching down at Evansville, named Calbert Chaney who, Correct. of course, went on to becoming one of the best you know, handful of players to ever play college basketball, you could make the argument, uh, all-time Big Ten leader. Did you, and, and your career path crossed with Calbert's later on, did you get to know Calbert at all when he was playing in high school in Evansville and you were coaching there? He committed to Evansville. Oh, I did not know that. I have never heard get, this. And you're IU fans. You guys are biased. <laughs> Christmas. Wow. Tell us. Crimson blinders <laughs> on. <laughs> Calvert is one of the best people on earth. And uh, no, actually, it's a funny story. So Calvert's high school coach, who is one of my closest friends, a guy named Gerald Van Devener. Gerald coached there and used to coach at Boonville and became a superintendent up in Jasper and so forth and so on. And so Cal, so Gerald is, is in there. So Calbert's starts, I think, as a sophomore in high school. And so we start looking at him and then, you know, uh, either sophomore, or junior year, we offer him. I can't remember, but, but he was kind of a young Colt kind of guy. Uh, you know, he's good, but I mean, he wasn't killing it or anything, but Gerald, his coach went to Purdue, absolutely loves coach Knight. And he's one of my best friends. <laughs> so we got this we got this thing going on here a little bit. And so uh anyway, uh Calvert comes in with Gerald one day and he goes <laughs> this will get pushed back probably, but anyway, I'm saying it anyway. Uh he goes, Yeah, I'm gonna go to Purdue. Oh I said, Well, that's that's a that's a good decision. I said, That's great. But I said, Coach Katie, that's grass. Now, I said, now, has Coach Katie offered you a scholarship? Which I knew they hadn't. Now, because I know how recruiting works. Yeah. All these, you know, it just, just because they're talking to you and saying nice things doesn't mean it's there. And even if they offer you a scholarship, it's not necessarily there. So anyway, I said, well, that's good. I said, and, and he kind of looks at me like he's like, well, no, I guess not. I mean, like, <laughs> Calvert's kind of shocked. So I said, okay, just go in my office and call Coach Katie and see if you got a scholarship. I mean, you can't go there unless you got a scholarship. I says, Purdue turned him down. Wow. You know? and, and, and basically probably said, hey, we're still looking at guys or whatever. 
and Calvert you know, was hurt. Which they're being right? honest, you know, they're being honest, which is good. But re- he was ready to pull the trigger, and they were not ready for him to pull the trigger. Oh, thank goodness! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, he ended up committing to us. But then, when I'm on the phone, he's commit. I was at my mother-in-law and father-in-law's, at, you know, actually normal, and uh, called me. He says, "Hey, I'm, I'm going to come down." I said, "That's great. Everything's good." I said, "But here, and this is when I knew I had problems." I go, has your mom signed off on this? Well, no, not really. She's not (laughs) sure yet. So, you know, Calvert didn't, but I didn't feel like it was a complete commitment just because the mother went there. And so we, anyway, so anyway, he goes to Indiana. He's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I told uh, Calvert and uh, Brian Evans, they were at something, I think it was last summer, and both of them are just getting in the Hall of Fame, I think, at IU. Is that true? Yeah. I told him. I told both those guys, I said, you guys would have been in the Hall of Fame a lot sooner at Evansville if you would have come to Evansville. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you how they treat you around here. That's a bunch of garbage. <laughs> uh, so, um, so you you uh, have a, a great long run, 17 years at Evansville. Uh, next stop, you follow in the footsteps of uh, Coach Knight. You head out there to West Point. And, yep. uh, you know, obviously not a uh, uh, an easy place to win. And you nope. do – you do a a, a a sort of a retirement back to Indianapolis, but then after like three years, you get a, a phone call that that changes everything for you again. What, who is that phone call from? Can I ask one quick question? Uh, about Rick West Majerus. Oh, Rick sorry, Majerus. I'm sorry. I just want to ask one quick question about West sure. Point. Sure. How how special of a place is it? First of all, every American should see West Point. Yeah, I mean, I love West Point. I think West Point is the greatest. I think it's unbelievable. I love coaching there. Absolutely. I mean, I really, really liked everywhere I coached. I really did. Every place was great. But West Point, for my DNA, it's great. And every American should see West Point. And, uh, you know, it's a fantastic place. It really is. It's really hard to win there. But you you can win there. You can win there. And uh, But it's a good place. It's a great place. So, all right. What was the next question? So, oh yeah. So you you got a phone call oh, from, from Rick, that's from right, Coach that's right. Yeah, actually, uh, and I'm not a golfer, but uh, actually, it's the only time I uh, Aber and I and a guy named Andrew White who works for uh, Ab, we're out playing golf, and the phone phone. Uh, I get a message, and we're done. We're done playing. And it's from Rick, and he goes. Uh, Hey, uh, Al Jensen just left the staff. This is like two weeks before the season starts. Not, not even, I don't even know if it's two weeks. It might be a week. And he goes, hey, come over here. And he starts selling. It's, it's only, uh, you know, 40, you know, he has the days. Like, And he's lying. It's a lot longer <laughs> than it is. He's lying about the days. And, but he kind of comes up with, he goes, just come over and help me out a little bit here. And he goes, well, well he goes, we'll have a lot of fun. He goes, we're going to eat well. We'll laugh a lot. And he goes, I think, and I think we're going to be pretty good too. I think we're going to be good. So we'll, we'll get a lot of laughs and I think we're going to be good. So anyway, I, so, I mean, I got to make a decision within 24 hours, which is really totally not my personality. And so, uh, but Rick had always been more than good to me. We've been good friends and so forth and so forth. And so I go, you know, what the heck, I, you know, even if it's a disaster, I can last for four or five months. I mean, so anyway, that's how it started. And, you know, everyone made fun of Rick for living in a hotel all his life. So I was in a hotel that year. Wow. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is. Wait. They clean your room. You get a chocolate on your pillow. They wash the towels. They vacuum your room. It's great. Wait, first and, of all, so I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. What hotel? Chase. Oh, that is where I got married. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Now, they got, they got now, restaurants. They got a movie theater. They got a bowling alley. I mean, right there. Yeah. Now, right in this central west end, you can walk 100 yards and go to about 15 restaurants. Yes. It, it, that place is incredible. Yep. So, uh, not to not to take a a sour turn here, but you 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 mentioned that, you know, even if it was a disaster, you could last for a few months. The truth right. is, it turned into a disaster for much more serious and and different reasons. Yeah, it was sad. Well, first of all, I I knew Rick had told me that he's not going to coach much longer, and we had talked before about going over there, and I just never had an interest because I didn't want to move to St. Louis, and then you know Rick's going to retire and. A, a year, two years, three years. I mean, he told me he's not going to work. And then you're just at the same point. So anyway, what happened is about the end of the year, he goes, because uh, I was just going to do this five months. That's it. He goes, hey, uh, you need to do this next year. I said, Rick, I'm not moving to St. Louis. And he goes, don't. Because we had bought in a house. We were living in Kentucky after West Point for about a year and a half. But we were like vagabonds. So we, my wife and I decided, or my wife decided, and I agreed with her that we need to get we need to get some roots down, and so let's move. Well, we could move anywhere we wanted, basically, uh, not just basically. We could move anywhere we wanted to because the only thing I was doing is really Big Ten Network for a year, and anyway, we moved to Carmel. So we buy a house. Two months later, I get this phone call from Rick, and now we're so I go, Rick, I'm not moving. I'm not picking up and moving. He goes, Don't. He goes, just come over, just recruit in the summer on these weekends. Come over when you want to for the. So, anyways, I said, you treated me great. The players have been great. Everything's been good. And he goes, just do it again. So, anyway, how the story goes, unfortunately, is I have very little contact with Rick that summer and really the other guy. And we knew that he was really struggling. And most of the time, he is always out west for his doctors because he's always had those heart problems. And so, uh, you know, the weirdest thing, though, about this, because Rick was very well known. I mean, he's easy to recognize, a uh, very public figure. Uh, is no one, he, he's, he's in the hospital or in and out of hospital all summer. And my wife was a former nurse, so I'm putting the dots together. And I'm like, it's not, this is not good. This is not good. And so... He, uh, so we have, and so, you know, the staff talk and I go, does anyone ask you about Rick? And all of us go, no one ever, like, they'll ask, Hey, how's Rick doing? You know, like just friendly foe, but not like how's Rick doing in terms of serious. No one knew how sick he was. No one. I mean, we, we we're putting the dots together, but for a public figure and he is at, I can't remember the hotel, some famous hotel in LA and he has to have the ambulance come to get him. And it's still, with social media and all of it, it never got out. Hmm. So I couldn't figure that out whatsoever. So anyway, they called a guy named, uh, which is a recognizable name, uh, Mr. Huntsmith. Huntsman, I mean, uh, yeah. from Utah. You guys know that name? Yes. Yeah. The, the, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't I mean, he, he's. He was governor and then became a. Was well, governor? that's his son. Oh, okay. That's his got son. The, the father is. Uh, I don't even know how he made him money. He's made billions, but he's given billions. I mean, he's right. done so much for cancer and hospitals and built hospitals and just a wonderful, wonderful 
Ashley has written a book probably 10 years ago, five years. It's a good book. Uh, winners never lose or no cheaters never win. I think it's cheaters never win or winners never lose one or the other. And, uh, anyway, he called the university said, Rick's can't coach this year. He's got to take a sabbatical this year. So the university, so now we're sitting there. And so I don't have a problem because if they say we don't have a job, I'm driving back to Indianapolis and no problem in reality. But the other, other guys are, younger than me and you know got kids and careers and everything else so like this is not good so anyway so they wanted to talk to me about it which i really didn't want it which it probably ended up the reason why they gave it to me to be honest (laughs) oh i'm serious yeah (laughs) because i'm not a threat right uh but here's an interesting thing you brought up west point so the day that i'm going to interview for this interim situation is uh I'm out in the parking lot and like the meetings at one o'clock and it's 10 till one and I'm ready to walk in. It's a beautiful day, September day. And the phone rings and one of our former players at West point just got blown up in Afghanistan. Uh. And so, so it's about a five minute conversation, but before the conversation is over, the kid's going to lose a leg, which he did lose a leg, but, there he was going to live and and knowing the kid i felt great because just knowing him this is not going to stop this kid one bit this guy he this is not going to affect his life in terms of big picture uh big time and which it ended up so i go in there so obviously we talk talking about the job but why am i in there because you know a little hindsight but the head coach is dying we're at coach majerus mm-hmm. I get out of the meeting and before I get out of the building, the phone rings and I have another player, same class as this other kid from West Point dies playing pickup basketball in Virginia. Now, how bizarre is all that stuff? Brutal. How bizarre is that? So it was a, uh, obviously emotional day. So anyway, that's how it kind of is all, you know, there's no blueprint for any of that stuff. So, so you move forward not to trivialize it with what's going on on a basketball court at this time, but the truth was Coach Majerus was right. You guys were going to be pretty good, and you had some of St. Louis's best teams that they've ever well, had. Well, we were good the year before. The yes. year before we were good. Yes. And then the, this next group, we lost two seniors that were really important. And then, yes, we thought that we could be pretty good, yes. And you are pretty good, and you're in the middle of a incredible season. And Coach Majerus dies on December 1st, 2012. You're in, the, you're in the middle of a season. How All these kids, I would imagine, have been recruited in some way and committed to St. Louis because of Coach Majerus or, or are there in some reason. Somewhere. Oh, 100%, 100%. How difficult is it for you to just play the next game? Well, there is, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things going on. Number one, from the player standpoint, is uh, – you know, Rick was, he was a friend to some of them, the older ones. Uh, he was a mentor to some of them. I mean, some of them have tough family situations and Rick was their mentor. He was a father figure to some of them, you know, and he's probably a hard ass to some of them. You know, right. it just depends on what the, where were you kind of were with it. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was just a lot of things, you know, we kind of went in as a staff and now, you know, cause now I'm the head coach, interim head coach. And so, you know, that doesn't 
probably give you much clout uh, on anything, which is fine. It just is what it is. But we kind of just did this with the team. We said, okay, guys, and, I, and I've always kind of done this with teams. I said, guys, you know, we got, we're all in a tough situation. You didn't ask for this situation. None of us coaches asked for this situation. Uh, but we got one common denominator. Coach, Coach Majerus put us all in. He, put, he, he got us here to St. Louis. And I said, you guys know this system better than I know this system. And you guys have invested more than I've invested. Everything's going to be negotiable except for one thing. You got to be a great teammate. That's the one thing that's non-negotiable. You got to be a great teammate. And so we just kind of lived off that. And I said, guys, I'm going to ask you guys questions about some of this stuff that we do. And you guys got, and they were beyond, they were tremendous. And what was bad, and it worked out big picture, but our best player, the second day of practice broke his foot. He was out for two months. Right. So that didn't help any, but they, they were absolutely fabulous with all that. And, uh, you know, they were all, not all of them, but several of them were Paul, Rick, you know, we went up to Milwaukee for the uh, funeral and they're Paul, but it's so ironic too, because the funeral, we had an off Saturday. How many off Saturdays do you have in college basketball? And I'm not talking about playing Sunday. We didn't play Sunday either or Friday. Right. We had an off and that's when the funeral was. So he died one Saturday and then the next Saturday was, we didn't even play. So we, everyone was up there. So Wow. Quite a thing. Yeah. Quite a story. Well, the the performance, and because it's my hometown college, St. Louis University and the Billikins, I grew up, went to their basketball camps when Rich Grower was the coach way back yeah. when. Uh, yeah. I, I followed them very closely and still do. And, and those teams that you coached and that Coach Majerus put together were fun, hard-nosed teams to watch. I loved watching them. I love that you made the NCAA tournament two years in a row. I'm sure Coach Majerus was uh, – was watching from uh, up above. Yeah, you know, he had a weird prediction, uh, or not weird prediction, he had a prediction. So I don't know when he did. I had no idea this happened until it happened. But he, he said, I don't know when these guys were freshmen or saw whenever. He goes, these guys are going to be a top 10 team. So let's say he said that on, I don't know, January 20th, right. whatever year. Two years later, on January 20th, we become a top 10 team. In wow. The to the day, right on the same date he said it. That oh, is, that's crazy. Those are the kind of things that just make you go, there's something else going on here. Oh, there yeah. There's something else going on here. Uh, yeah. Before we wrap this up, I just got to ask you just something about St. Louis. Did you ever go to Ted Drew's? Oh, yeah. Yes. How, well, you'll like this. So who do you think I got introduced with Ted Drew's? Coach Majerus. So we would go there often. So the, I don't know what day it is, but when he passed away, we had a, well, I guess it would be called a service. It wasn't a funeral, but a service in the practice gym for Coach Majerus. So the public came and, and everything else. What do you think they served after the service? Ted Drew's ice cream oh, for everybody. That is <laughs> sensational. That is that's pre that uh, pretty funny. For that's any of cool for any of our uh, listeners listening, that and the vast majority are in the state of Indiana. If you make it to St. Louis, Ted Drew's frozen custard is a treat that you have to partake in. It is just <laughs> special. Uh, well, Coach, we can't thank you enough for for taking a couple hours with us here to just geek out about uh, both your playing days and your coaching days, and it is. 
on your shoulders, which all of this Indiana tradition stands that that we grew up with. We were basically born into the teams that you were playing and coaching. And if it wasn't for that foundation, uh, we wouldn't be two crazy 40 year old guys out in L.A. making you talk to us for two hours. So so just thank you for for basically what was our childhood and became our adulthood of being passionate IU fans because of the play and the personalities of of you and Coach Knight and all the players he brought together. Well, that's awful nice of you. But the Indiana fans, as you guys are, are special people. They really are. They're very uh, invested, but they're very encouraging, enthusiastic about the sport. And uh, Indiana basketball is certainly uh, something that's just not throughout the nation, but you know, people throughout the world know about it, which is pretty cool. Uh, and just to echo something I said before we actually got on the phone with you, uh, I knew it before we talked, and I knew it. I know it now even more. You, you are just the, you are the perfect embodiment of what we want as Indiana University alum and players and coaches. And it is a pleasure and an honor to talk to you and to know that, like Ward said, you helped build this thing that we love. And uh, I hope this is not the last time we chat. And when we're back yeah. in Indiana, maybe we can get together. Absolutely. I enjoyed it, guys. Good luck to you. You guys are doing good stuff. Thanks so much, Coach. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. What a stud. God, he's awesome. Man, that guy is cool. And and I didn't even get to, but I wanted to compliment him on how awesome his voice is. He does have a great voice, right? Yeah, I can see why, not only because of his his expertise, but just the quality of his voice that Big Ten wanted him on their uh, network. Just honest and walked us through some like dark times, some funny times. What a career. I mean, from playing for night, coaching with night, being a head coach. Well, and and you know, I'd put Dockage over there as so like, oh, here was a guy who played for night and then coached for him forever. And then it's time to do Jim Cruz and not realizing how long Cruz had been on the coaching staff there, you know, better part of a of a decade that that was like, oh wow, he's he also had a a over decade long run under the spell of night and what a what a rare insight it is to get from a guy like that who then you know also has to have the kind of mind to coach division one for decades so it's it's you always going to be a good insightful time and he i had high expectations and he exceeded them yeah and he coached i was looking at his stats he coached almost a thousand games as a division one head coach that's crazy i mean almost a thousand games yeah that, that is like just it's incredible um he was just so refreshing and seems like he's in a good place in his life love that he's living in carmel and helping out abernathy at the academy i love that i love that the iu connection is still there he's just a a guy that you would want to go have dinner with and and talk more with yeah like you know as far as when i'm thinking about oh you know uh who who will we, when we get through every single player that ever played for IU and we're coming back around for lap number two, we want to get Cruz on again. I just feel like that guy has so many stories, right? And and I think we do a pretty good job of extracting one or two good anecdotes from all of these guys. But when you're talking about the Dockage or the Cruz, the guys who are like shoulder to shoulder with Knight for over a decade, like we could have a whole 
show with them just getting the stories. Just them telling us about the nudity. <laughs> well, is that you know, what you meant? No, <laughs> I it crossed my mind with Coach Cruz about the nudity, but I was like, you know what? He seems a little uh, maybe not quite so um, uncensored as a Todd Leary. Uh, and so I didn't want to make him uncomfortable right. and talking about Coach Knight's nudity. But if he comes back on, I think we absolutely should. It's funny. When we talked to Michael Lewis about the nudity and he just skated around it, my dad said to me afterwards that he answered that as diplomatically as he could. And I go, but but like, what, what's going to happen if he talks about Knight? And then my dad reminded me, Eric, he's a Division One assistant head coach for a major program. Do you think he wants head coaches thinking that you do something behind the scenes? He's just going to go talk about it? Well, he <laughs> never he, even occurred to me. But he said that in the wake of his own answer, where he was like, I'm still in the game. Yeah, I just didn't equate it to meaning that he didn't want head coaches thinking that oh. he would betray them. I thought he meant like somehow it was a recruiting violation. Oh, no. I knew immediately what he meant. Which, he, by the way, it he, should be a recruiting <laughs> violation. He, he didn't want Cronin being like, gosh, I guess I can never get naked around Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, the other thing that's great about Jim Cruz, he knows Ted Drews. That is, if have you ever had Ted Drews in St. Louis? No, but I felt a little defensive for Laz. I'm like, hey, this isn't going to like encroach on Laz's no, business at all. They're different markets. Okay, um, there's no Ted Drews in uh, Bloomington, but I'm going to order some Ted Drews delivered from St. Louis. You need to experience Ted Drews. Maybe they ship it. Eat it for a game, like. In oh the, yeah, in, we could do that in, for sure in the wake of a game. Yeah, as we're crying. And well, yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's like when Caleb Love announces he's coming. Uh, no, it's not. I know no, he no, won't. No, no. All right. Uh, <laughs> That was awesome. Follow us uh, on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics, no vowels and hysterics. Email us at HoosierHysterics at gmail.com. Tell a friend. Hey, what's your full name? My full name is Eric Pankowski. My name's Ward Roberts. It's a little weird to do it at the outro. I'm just saying, we're we're going to start being good about saying our no, names. No, we're not good at it. We're not good at it at all. Um, we'll have some announcements coming up uh, very soon about the event in either mid November or early December though that announcement is coming within the next couple weeks so stay tuned and as always we'll see you next time that doesn't make any sense it wasn't yeah we don't see them and and, you, and <laughs> as always I, I don't do that always like, I thought it was gonna be like go Hoosiers or something you know a call to arms it was a total fail it was a ridiculous ridiculous attempt and a total fail definitely going to keep it in from the halls of assembly you'll hear us scream and shout our love of indiana is manic and devout archie and his boys we discuss in unique manner we won't be satisfied until we hang another banner us two goofy guys go by names of ward and eric and as you probably know by now we're hoosier hysterics hoosier hysterics hoosier hysterics hoosier hysterics